passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode, episode 174 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews for every league and news for every league. We're in the thick of it right now. NFL season has kicked off. College football season has kicked off. We still got Major League Baseball. NBA is right around the corner. NHL is right around the corner. Got combat sports, esports, and even a little golf. All could be found on Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for your sports information from live in game betting props and futures. Head to Bet Online today. Use your mobile device or desktop. Join today and make your first sports bet. Use promo code BLEAV50. That's B L E A V. Five zero to receive 50% on your first deposit, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, promo code believe 50 B-L-E-A-V, to get 50% on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts with that said. Episode 174, for the love of the game, let's oh. get this word. Oh. Oh. Because uh, when my come in, they gotta use the scale that they weigh the whales with. Carlton's on the Jeep. Bugatti made the prototype. Hope you get the picture, but you just can't photo light. Determine, make it. Kicking down the door and we burning naked. The house costs a million. Sitting on the beach, and the only thing I know with this furnish, I'ma take it. My bathtub lift up, my walls do a 360. We got this shit that the government got. Talking money, then you rubbing the spot. Real, you say that they be wildin'. What to do, everybody? Welcome back. Episode 174 for the love of the game with yours truly, ATH. It's Aaron Tobin Hess back in the saddle, back behind the mic, doing what we love to do. And we had a wild weekend of sports. A lot going on. I mean, it was a crazy NFL week one. We had wild college football. Notre Dame is now 0-2. Alabama almost lost to Texas. But we're not really going to talk about college football right now. We're going to focus on NFL. But we also had U.S. Open finals. Just a jam-packed weekend. So let's start right there. Shout out and congratulations to Carlos Alcaraz from Spain. 19 years old, wins the U.S. Open. And now jumps to the number one ranking in the world. 19 years old. The only other 19-year-old to win the U.S. Open for the men is Pete Sampras. Pretty good company. I mean, this guy, Carlos Alcaraz, is incredible. Absolutely incredible. The sheer athleticism, the speed, the agility, combined with the shot making, he, he's just awesome. He's absolutely awesome. Got the pleasure of seeing him in person in the Miami Open. I got the pleasure of watching him in person at the U.S. Open this year. Guy's incredible. He's only 19. It's only going up from here. Really good stuff from Carlos Alcaraz. I can't wait to watch him play throughout the years. Men's tennis is in a great spot. You have Alcaraz. I mean, Djokovic is still Djokovic. Nadal is still Nadal. Kyrgios is coming on. Francis Tiafoe had a great showing. Sinner had a great showing. The men's draw is really deep and deep with young guys. Lots and lots of talent. So shout out to Carlos Alcaraz. I can imagine this will probably be the first of a few majors to come. All right, so the NFL. Let's start with the New York Giants. I was very skeptical about the New York Giants, especially this week. I didn't really like Tennessee, as we spoke about on the AFC preview. 
Shai Elberger and I both didn't like Tennessee, but we also don't like the New York Giants. But I got to hand it to Brian Dable, played aggressive. The New York Giants come out with a win, even when trailing 13-0 at the half. And the story was the play calling by Brian Dable and Saquon Barkley looks like the best running back in football, like he did as a rookie and his second year before he got hurt, justifying that number two slot. Now, again, we can argue about whether the Giants were in the position to take a running back number two when they did. They probably weren't. I still defended the pick because the alternative was going to be Sam Darnold, who stinks. It wasn't going to be Josh Allen, and Josh Allen probably would not have succeeded with that Giants regime. Saquon Barkley, when right, is the best running back in football. He's gold jacket talented, and he showed it the other day. Unbelievable game from him. Over 160 rushing yards, 190 total, scored the game-winning two-point conversion. Shout-out to Brian Dable for going for it. Going for the win. Giants come away with a win. I said the Giants were going to be bad this year. I did. I predicted the under for their wins total at 7.5. But look at what happened week one for the New York Giants. There's a path now. The Carolina Panthers that we thought were going to be pretty good, well, they were pretty bad on Sunday. They were pretty bad. And the big news out of the NFC East is that the Dallas Cowboys are going to be without Dak Prescott for basically two months. So their season is toast. The Commanders, they're not very good either. Did Philadelphia do a lot to inspire a tremendous amount of confidence against the Lions? Yeah, I think the Lions are frisky, but like I, I don't know. The Giants, from what could have been really grim had they lost this game, really grim? There may be an opening here. I'm not saying that they can like go on a surprise 10 and 7 campaign. Maybe, maybe not. Again, I would bet against it. But given the way their schedule breaks out, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Week one is generally not a make or break. You don't overreact to week one. However, for this New York Giants team, it was a make or break game. Because they haven't started 1-0 in God knows how long. This kind of win for this team, given how bad it's been, is a major statement win. And if they had not won this game, it would have gone the other way. We're looking at 4-13. and Now again, if they don't take care of business against Carolina on Sunday, you may be looking at 4-13 anyway. But the possibility of having the surprise 10-7 and 7 season is now a possibility. It would not have been if they had lost this game. So kudos to the Giants for coming up big at the end. Was it pretty? No. Daniel Jones still makes you scratch your head. That interception was terrible in the red zone. Absolutely terrible. But a win is a win. And for a team that hasn't done a whole lot of winning lately, you'll take it. As for the other team in town, the New York Jets. Well, it's not really fair because Zach Wilson is out for the first four weeks of the season, so you can't really tell what this Jets team is going to be. But the head-scratching decision for not playing Garrett Wilson more than like three snaps is weird. I don't understand. You drafted him with the 10th pick overall. That's a strange decision. I mean, Joe Flacco can't be throwing the ball 59 times. Joe Flacco shouldn't even be playing. So you kind of knew that it was going to be a drubbing. It was one of the picks I gave out. The right picks I gave out was Ravens minus six and a half. I mean, I, I don't understand anybody who was banging the Jets. And shout out to my buddy Eric Zimmerman, who thought that the Jets were going to win outright because of the Flacco revenge game, not realizing that Flacco is a corpse. But yeah, it, it's going to be a long season for the Jets. It's going to be a long season. And again, as I said, their processes are right. But if the quarterback isn't going to be able to be healthy and play and see if he can actually be good, then none of this shit matters. And Robert Sala for taking receipts for everybody laughing at the Jets. Well, guess what, dude? If you go 4-13 and or 5-12, and you can keep those receipts with you because your bags are going to be packed and they're going to kick your ass out of town.
talking about receipts. Get lost, dude. How about try and win some games first? But it's not going to be easy for the Jets. I mean, maybe the Browns next week, but again, not with Flacco. It's not going to be a win. And then they're, they're easily get, could start 0-7. Easily. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a long season. Anybody who bet the season over for the Jets, well, just tough. News around the league before we get into a recurring guest. He might as well be a partner on the show right now because we're going to talk about the Giants with Shai Elberger reactions to week one in just a second. A couple of thoughts from what I saw around the league. Things I feel good about in terms of my preseason predictions and some things I don't feel good about. What I feel good about is the New England Patriots and betting their under under eight and a half for the season. The New England Patriots are bad. They are really bad. They don't have a single really elite skill position player. Their quarterback is okay. He's not a dude. He's okay. They don't have a elite pass rusher. They don't have anybody elite in the secondary. It's a bad team. It's a really bad team. And Bill Belichick is getting up there. I don't care what anybody says. He can't be as sharp as he was 10 years ago. It's just not possible. That's not the way age works. All right? Patriots under was a lock, and I feel really good about it. I don't feel really good about my Panthers position. Losing to the Browns, I know the Browns have a good roster, but losing to the Browns with Jacoby Brissett, who is really, really terrible at playing quarterback in the NFL, like that's just not a good look. And I know Baker did all he could in the second half to get them to a win. That defense needs to be able to make a stop. I picked their over six and a half wins. Don't feel good about it right now. I even had them sneaking into the playoffs. You don't want to overreact to week one, but I don't feel great about that one. One thing I do still feel good about is the Cincinnati Bengals winning the division and being a major player in the AFC. Listen, they didn't play all preseason. The starters got no snaps, and it showed. They were exceedingly rusty in the first half. The offensive line was not very good. Joe Burrow was not very good. But... If it wasn't for a blocked extra point, they win that game against a feisty Steelers defense that's pretty good. This this Steelers thing is smoke and mirrors and a tough break for the Steelers because they lost T.J. Watt, who was the best player in that game on Sunday. They include Jamar Chase, who's otherworldly, but T.J. Watt was the best player on the field. I don't even think it was close. What a crazy finish that was. We had missed kicks. We had blocked extra points. We had touchdowns that weren't called touchdowns, just absolutely nutty. Just what what a wild game that was. The witching hour for the 1 o'clock games was absolutely crazy. But I'm not off the Bengals bandwagon yet. Far from it. I think they're going to be really good still. And another thing that I felt super confident in, and I've been saying it for a while, that Dak Prescott stinks. Okay? Dak Prescott stinks. I know he got hurt, but he sucked in that game Sunday night before he got hurt. Why is Dak Prescott better than Jared Goff? I don't think he is. In fact, I think Jared Goff is better. Jared Goff has at least gone to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff has has won playoff games. Like, why is why are we putting Dak Prescott in the top tier of quarterbacks? And he is put in that category because he got paid that much, which I said was a ludicrous contract when they signed it, and it's the worst contract in the NFL and maybe in all of sports. Like, why is Dak Prescott considered, you know, top 10 status? All these guys are better than Dak Prescott, which is why you can't sign him to that amount of guaranteed money. And don't give me the, you know, it's just the next contract up that the next guy, the next quarterbacks can get paid after him. Okay, fine. But it's a salary cap sport. If you're, if the guy that you sign to big money in a salary cap sport isn't worth it and not even close, well, your team's not going to be very good. And guess what? The Cowboys were not going to be really good with Dak Prescott, and now that he's out for eight weeks, their season's over. So yeah, I felt great about my position that Dak Prescott is not all that. Dak Prescott is not better than 
any of the following of these quarterbacks. Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Okay, that's already five. Tom Brady, still. Russell Wilson, still. Derek Carr, that's eight off the top of my head. Kirk Cousins, their numbers are identical, all right? Why is he better than Kirk Cousins? I don't think he is. Jared Goff, I don't think he's better than Jared Goff. He's not better than Ryan Tannehill. He's not better than Matt Ryan. Like, the Cowboys paying him big, big money is just incredible. It's the best because it's going to cripple the franchise forever because they can't cut him. What's the trade market for him? I don't know, but whatever it is, I'm loving it because I can't stand the Dallas Cowboys and their demise is great. All right, so before we get into Shy to talk about the Giants and the feel-good win that was week one, week one's picks against the spread. We're two and three, and the Jaguars not covering that game was ridiculous. I don't know how they gave up two late touchdowns to Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, ridiculous. I, I feel good about the Jaguars again, and as you're going to see in a second, we're going back to the well with the Jaguars because I actually think the Jaguars have a little talent, and Trevor Lawrence is really good. Also, way better than Dak Prescott, even in year two with that team. Okay, so week two's picks against the spread. First up, we got the Steelers, a one-and-a-half-point underdog against the Patriots. Home dogs were great in week one against the spread. They're generally good against the spread early on in the season. And why should the Patriots be favored against anybody on the road? Why? I don't get it. Did they not watch the game on Sunday? It's not a very good Patriots team. I think the Steelers can cover and actually win outright. Two, I mentioned it just now. We're going back to the well. I I have a boner for these guys. I, I don't know what it is, but... Jacksonville Jaguars, a four-and-a-half-point underdog at home against the Colts. Matt Ryan inspires no confidence. One of the picks I got right was Houston plus eight-and-a-half. Again, by the way, all these lines are given to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. The Colts being favored by four-and-a-half on the road. Give me the home underdog. Three, we got the Bengals, minus six-and-a-half against the Cowboys. No Dak Prescott. I don't see how the Cowboys score. I think the Bengals are angry. I think they'll be a lot sharper this week. You know, Bill Simmons talks about it on his show. How many points can they realistically score in this game? I'm not sure the Cowboys can get to 10, to be totally honest with Cooper Rush against this Bengals team that's angry. So I got the Bengals minus six and a half. I got the Bills minus nine and a half against the Titans. Very limited offense. No, A.J. Brown really makes a difference. I mean, he balled out for Philadelphia in week one. So I got the Bills, who right now look like the class of the AFC. I know it's only week one, but, man, they put a hurting on the Rams. So I got the Bills minus nine and a half. And then I've got the Vikings. And you know my rule. I hate backing Kirk Cousins. But you know what? This new coaching regime in Minnesota, Justin Jefferson is a monster Adam Thielen is healthy, and is Philadelphia really that good? I mean, I have them winning the division. I have them over nine and a half wins, but that's basically a product of the conference that they play in, and somebody's going to have to win the NFC East. So, I've, But I've got the Vikings plus one and a half against Philly. So to recap, Steelers plus one and a half, Jaguars plus four and a half, Bengals minus six and a half, Bills minus nine and a half, Vikings plus one and a half. That's week two's picks against the spread. We got to do better than week one. Week one's always tough. Two and three is not horrific, but we got to do better week two. With that said, we're going to talk to a recurring guest, Shai Elberger, who's basically like my co-host at this point. We're going to talk about the Giants week one because it's a happy week one recap that we haven't had in years. So we're going to do it again. And we're going to talk to him in just a matter of moments. Teased it in the monologue. This guy is practically my co-host the last couple of weeks. And it's good to have him on because, let's face it, the Giants have not started out 1-0 in about six years. So we had to have him on because I'm still not sure how many celebrations we're going to have to have 
uh, the two of us uh, regarding the Giants, but Shy Elberger is back. Shy, what's good, bud? How are we doing? We're doing well. Yeah, I feel like you and I had spent a weekend at camp, NFC preview, AFC preview, Bachelorette episode, and now a week one review, which I don't think we've done in years past, uh, or maybe we have, but um, this has this this is a different context than any of those. Well, yeah, because there hasn't been anything positive to review because they're always 0-1 and they're usually always 0-2. But yeah, no, you're practically a co-host now and considering Bachelorette finale is next week, we'll probably have to run that back again. So your services are really coming handy. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's not even, uh, yes, it was the first week one uh, victory for the Giants in six years. But it's, I think it's also before 2016, it was like, uh, I should have known this before I made this point, but I think it was like 2010. So it's like two in the last, like 11 of the last 12 seasons, they've been 0-1. So obviously we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it feels good to be 1-0 above 500 for the first time in six seasons. And in 2011, when they won the Super Bowl, they started out 0-2 and, and went 9-7 and that year. So it wasn't like that was like a tremendously exciting uh, regular season either. I wanted to ask you this, this big picture point. And I know you mentioned that you don't overreact to week one. However, given the state of this franchise, um, I, I think a win in week one against the team that, you know, you and I were down on in Tennessee – but still was the number one seed in the AFC last year, has been in the playoffs multiple years in a row, good coach, you know, competent team. Was this the make-or-break game for the Giants? Because I kind of think it was, even though it's week one. I don't think you can say a week one game is make-or-break. Um, I, I mean, the early season schedule is favorable, especially with Dak's injury. Uh, the Giants playing Dallas in week three. But, I mean, if you told me that come November, come Thanksgiving, the Giants were, you know, five and seven or four and eight, would that really shock me? No. Uh, and I, one of the reasons for that is not just that they're just overall not so talented, but they also have no depth. And they kind of got out of week one without injuries. But – there's like 12 players where if they got injured, the Giants would be totally screwed uh, at that position and overall. And so I'm still kind of assuming that that's something, you know, there will be injuries. So again, right. you told me, I don't think this was make or break. It's one and oh, but I, I don't think this is like, you know, setting them on any path to the division or, or the playoffs. He, here's what I'll say. If they lost this game against Tennessee, especially being down 13-0 going into the second half, that you thought it was basically, you know, uh, a, a real catastrophe. Had they had lost on Sunday, you could have penciled in 4-13. and 13. Could have just penciled it in. Well, now especially – yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was saying, especially the way they, were, they played in the first half. Like, it went into halftime, it was 13-0. That – uh, is very similar to basically how the last like four years have been. Like they're down 13 nothing at the half. The offense did not look good. The defense was like bending but not breaking. And you know the Giants are still kind of in it. But then comes the fourth quarter. It's 20 nothing. It's 24. You know 27 three. And like that's kind of what I was you know hoping was not going to be the case. Uh, but the first half they didn't look uh, good. No, they didn't. Not at all. And again, I watched most of this game on Red Zone because I was uh, overseas, as you well know. So yep. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to ask you your thoughts on the, on the nitty gritty. But just to go back to the point earlier, had they lost 4-13, and 13, pencil it in. Now because of where this franchise has been and the fact that they're actually 1-0 again for the first time in years – like, there's an alternate universe, and again, not to get too ahead of ourselves, there's an alternate universe where they can end up the surprise 10-7 and 7 team and make the 6 or 7 seed. Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm laughing hearing you say that because it was No, it's maybe... crazy. It's crazy, especially <laughs> no, but... given the injury to Dak Prescott, but that opens a door. There, I'm laughing because it was only – you know, a week and a half ago where I was making the case for the Giants over seven and a half. And you thought what I was saying was ridiculous. And I was like, I'm just making the case. 
And now they win one game and, you know, there's a universe where they win 10. I, yeah, I, there's a universe, a lot of weird, there's a universe where Eli Manning beats 18 and 0 Patriots. And, you know, that universe did happen, but doesn't mean, you know, I, I would bet heavily against that happening. Now, you know, I also, I'm like, you know, I'm an optimistic Giants fan, you know that, but I'm also yes. realistic. And, you know, I, I'm not like going into week two, even, you know, very confident against Carolina. I think this is definitely a toss up game. I was surprised the Giants opened at two and a half point favorites. It's now down to one and a half, which makes more sense. But, you know, Carolina could easily come in and win. And it wouldn't even shock me if the Giants lost by double digits. Um, they, that the gate, the end, the way the game ended against the Titans did not all of a sudden give me some newfound confidence that the Giants were, were suddenly better than we expected. Um, there were a lot of things that I was actually thought would be better than they were, including the passing game and, you know, Kadarius Tony's playing time. But Saquon looked amazing. Uh, I, I had said that to you in a prior podcast that all yep. the reports out of camp were that he looked really good. And, you know, it's not even – yes, he, he had the speed and the burst on those two long runs, um, but even taking away those two runs – which is often something you do if a guy has like a, a one big run, you know, and inflates his stat line without the, his 70 yarder on like a 40 yarder. He still had like 17 carries for a hundred yards, which is still a very good game. He ran very decisively uh, with power. He lowered his shoulder. There was no dancing behind the line. Um, it was just really, he just got the handoff and went straight ahead. And if the hole was there, it was there. If it wasn't, he got four yards and that was really good to see. Well, we haven't seen it since his rookie year. And even in that rookie year where he basically took the league by storm, it was a lot of like, you know, he was a home run hitter, right? Right, he wasn't right. The, he wasn't the Emmett Smith type where you're just getting three yards here, four yards here, break a 15-yard, all of a sudden you, get a, you got a buck 10 on, you know, 20-something carries, right? He, he was the home run hitter. And, and again, I've said it on record multiple times. When he's healthy and right, he's the best running back in football. He's the most talented. He's the most physically gifted. But we just haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. He's been saddled behind a bad offensive line. So, I mean, he had to be the guy who stuck out the most, right, in terms of just the uh, Yes. Yeah, I think for sure he was the guy that stood out the most. No one on defense really you know, made any – there were a couple guys who played well, but no one really stood out. And on offense – you know, Saquon was the leading receiver, uh, catch-wise. Uh, Shepard, obviously, he definitely gets an honorable mention. He tore his Achilles, you know, in December and is back week one catching a 70-yard touchdown pass. So that was really nice to see the longest tenure giant, uh, Sterling Shepard. Uh, but to your point on Saquon, I just want to make one last point because it was a good point that, that you made about the, you know, the home run hitter. With Saquon – his issue overall is not even so much his, his average run or his mean because he could have, you know, two, 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 negative one, negative three, and then 70. And all of a sudden he's, you know, averaging 20 yards a carry, but that's not how you want to play. You want to play where his median carry is higher, which means there's not many negative runs. So right. it's much better to go four, five, six, 10, 30, four, six, you know, than one negative four, negative two, 40. And so that's, what's really important. Only two of his uh, 18 carries went for negative yards. One of which I, th- I, I think if I remember correctly, he was like tackled the second he got the handoff for like a loss of six, but still to only two carries for negative. He played really well. He definitely stood out. I just, you know, I, you know, I pray he stays healthy. It's one game. Anything could happen next game, any game. I don't want to put that in the universe, but let's just see how, you know, how many games he plays. Yeah. I mean, he was sensational. Absolutely sensational. I, any, and I mentioned it before, like his combination of skills at that position is why I argued that knowing that Dave Gettleman wasn't going to trade down from that spot, like he should have been the pick because I knew that Sam Darnold was going to be terrible. And it turns out he was terrible. And for anybody who was saying that Josh Allen should have been picked there, the Giants would have screwed up Josh Allen. So I don't even want to hear it. Um, The unit that makes this possible, though, is the offensive line. And one of the reasons why Dave Gettleman was fired is because he couldn't get the offensive line right. 
What did you see from an offensive line perspective? But, and having said that, we got to give Dave Gellman credit for at least drafting Andrew Thomas because Andrew Thomas has been really good, especially when it didn't look like, you know, his rookie year, he was going to be worthy of the fourth overall pick. He's yeah. been awesome. Like, he was great at, I think, like the third best tackle by pro football focus this past week. What did you see from the offensive line specifically uh, via Thomas and rookie Evan Neal? Yeah, so a few things to touch on. One is the strength of this offensive line is run blocking uh, versus pass blocking, at least as it stands currently. And Evan, that includes Evan Neal, who at this stage is a much better run blocker than pass blocker. Uh, I don't, uh, I have confidence that he will become a stud tackle, but right now he's a better run blocker. Uh, left guard was interesting because Dable basically pulled a, a play out of Joe Judge's playbook and was alternating left guard throughout the game between another rookie, third-rounder Josh Izudu, and Ben Bredesen. And, you know, I, that, I'm not a, such a fan of rotating linemen in, especially since they always talk about how important continuity is and, you know, playing next to the guy you're next to uh, for a lot of snaps. So I don't love that. Um, but I just I thought that was interesting. And Azudu got beat on pass plays. Jeffrey Simmons for, on the Titans was like, you know, wrecking havoc in that first half. And that was a lot of it was on Azudu. But on Saquon's touchdown run, there is a massive hole that is cleared that he scores on. And Azudu completely pancakes the guy he's blocking while Andrew Thomas at left tackle is has taken his guy out of the picture. And, and so that was really good to see. Um, Andrew Thomas is not just very good. He is a stud. And um, I do – I have receipts in some chats during his rookie year where people were railing on him. And I was just telling everyone to be patient. It's very hard to be a rookie left tackle. It was made worse. And be worse good be right away. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, and to be good right away, it was made worse because that was a draft where there were four tackles all rated very similarly. And the Giants kind of had the first crack and took Andrew Thomas. Um, what was worse was the Jets had Mekhi Becton, who as a rookie was dominant. And the Bucs had taken Tristan Wirfs, Wirfs, who played right tackle, but he was also really good. And the Bucs won the Super Bowl. So it looked as if it was another Gettleman clown pick. Um, I just had a hard time believing that because of how good Thomas was at I mean, you know, I don't watch college football, but how highly he was rated, went to a real good school in Georgia, played against the SEC. Like everything I read just said, like, he's just, he's definitely, he has the lowest bust potential, like may not have as high a ceiling as Becton, but like, there's no chance he's going to be bad. And the last year he had a better year than his rookie year. And then all summer kind of not, you know, similar to Saquon, just people were buzzing about Thomas all summer and how good he looked. He was he was, you know, stonewalling uh, Thibodeau and like one-on-one -on -one pass rush drills. Preseason, in the limited snaps, he was good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting him to like be a pro bowler at some point. Uh, usually it helps when your team is good, so you just get more national games. But, like, I that was a good Gettleman pick. Uh, Xavier McKinney was the, probably the other good Gettleman pick. So he finally, after like, you know, nine strikeouts in the first round, got a couple right. Uh, McKinney was second round. Um, so yeah, maybe, you know, we should praise gentlemen. Just kidding. But, uh, yeah. Andrew no, Thomas, no, we should not, but, but <laughs> we have to give credit where credit is due. That's true. Those two guys. No, that was a good out, and Saquon, whether he should have been taken number two or not, like that guy is awesome when he's healthy. And I, I, the, the last thing about Saquon is, um, you know, we don't know what kind of year he's going to end up with, but. I, I still fail to see a scenario in which the Giants give him a lucrative second contract. I just think the way the front office has acted so far, I just don't see them ever giving a running back that much money. And especially if Saquon's going to end up with, you know, a season that is, you know, somewhat like week one, sub team is going to give him a lot of money. Now, I mean, we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, or I am at least, but, like, would he accept a hometown discount? Like, that's maybe. Like, he definitely benefits from being in New York and being yep. here since he was drafted. Like, would he take a three-year, you know, $45 million contract? I don't know. 
I could probably stomach that over like a McCaffrey, you know, five year, $90 million contract like that. There's no way. Much. I agree with you. There's no way he's getting that contract. No, from the chance. Giants. I mean, from the Giants, you know, the Titans could, or some other team, but you know, the Giants Correct. will not do that. No, no chance. Um, speaking of a guy who may be able to, you know, clear room for Saquon because his future's up in the air, Daniel Jones. Um, what did you make of Daniel Jones's performance overall? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you my opinion. The stats probably say it was better than it was. I think I saw his rating, his QB rating was like a 117. I thought he was pretty meh. Uh, made a couple of good throws into tight windows. The Shepard touchdown, I, I like on the fence because it was a deep throw and it got there. But Shepard did have to wait for it uh, and then break a tackle. And, yeah, but um, wasn't he, he wasn't he throwing that one like off his back foot or something? Yeah, like, I, I know, I get it. I, I, you know, I'm not expecting Mahomes, but I'm just saying right. it, it wasn't a good throw or a great throw. And uh, he ran effectively. Uh, to me, kind of almost looked a little slower than he has in years past. And uh, one thing I will say is he took a lot of hits on his runs and his sacks. And it's just hard for me to envision him staying healthy if he's going to take those kinds of hits. But I do think that those runs need to be part of the offense. Um, And the one thing you cannot gloss over and probably should have cost them the game was that horrendous interception, which was very Daniel Jones-esque, just a killer at the wrong place at the wrong time without an explanation. And that you know, should have been what, what ruined their chance to tie the game. Then they got the ball back and, and scored. But there were, that was just an inexcusable pass. Horrific. Absolutely. So, yeah, horrific. I mean, I was he was 17 for 21. It's also not a lot of pass attempts. Um, you know, the Bills, I, I, I was think that's a Jones. little. I think that's a little telling in terms of what the, front, what the coaching yeah, staff I, I agree. thinks I was them. expecting him to throw, you know, 35 to 40 times a game. And I think – you know, if someone made a point that when Dable was new with the Bills or, and Josh Allen was a rookie or second year, maybe, you know, they were only throwing it 25 times a game until he got more comfortable. So maybe maybe that is and that should be the game plan, you know, ride Saquon. Um, and, you know, I, I, I we, we may or may not get to Kadarius Tony as his own topic, but. Oh, we'll get, we'll, we'll get there. OK, OK. Just making sure. We'll get, so we'll I, get give Daniel, I give Jones a B, a B minus. Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch every single play. I, I watched, you know, the highlights, the condensed game. I, it's just, I, I think it's still a little telling that in his fourth year, and again, Saquon was having a monster game, right? But in his fourth year, that 21 pass attempts are, that's it. I think that's telling. And the interception yeah, and in the were, red zone, and... just you can't have that. I mean, he was you two seconds late on an out route. Right. You can't have that. And, um, you know, one thing about the pass attempts is the Giants overall had few plays. I remember, like, even at halftime, Jones had, like, nine attempts and Saquon had, like, 11 carries, which is, like, 20 plays plus sacks. Like, teams strive to have, like, 70, 80 plays a game. And they, I think they only had, like, in the 50s. So that that's part of it. They couldn't really sustain drives. And they had some long plays, which – you know, reduce the amount of plays. Um, yeah, uh, I, I feel like there was another point I was going to make, and I forgot. But uh, go ahead. So one of the reasons why I think the Giants are not throwing the ball that much is, besides for I think they're still a little skeptical on Daniel Jones, is the fact that they – you can make a case that their pass catchers, you know, taking Saquon out of it, are the worst group in the league. Like by far the worst group in the league. No, I would, I would argue definitely not the worst group. Who's worse? Um, the Bears with Darnell Mooney and Dante Pettis as their number two receiver. Who Darnell Mooney is better than anybody. Mooney the Giants good. Have. I I would take a Shepard, Tony Robinson, Valaday combo over Mooney, Pettis, and whoever else they have. Tony right, could be the best one of, of that group easily, and he probably is. He just needs to get on the field. So they used him for what, three snaps? He got he played seven snaps, got two touches. Oh, that was the other point I was going to make was 
you know, you, you said you didn't, weren't able to watch the game. It's currently airing on NFL Network, uh, just FYI. It, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I, I may or may not be – I may or may not be DVRing the replay. Oh, my goodness. You're a sicko. Okay, so Kadarius Tony, why can't he get on the field? I wish I knew the answer. I can only make a guess based on the you know, non-specific generic comments that Dable makes and basically alluded to just, you know, whether it's he doesn't know the playbook well, whether – um, we, we have heard from other receivers over the summer that this playbook is very complicated. Uh, it's a lot of uh, option routes and kind of determining on the fly which route you're going to run. And you and the QB have to be on the same page. And, you know, it's just possible. It's, it's harder to pick up than a normal offense. And, you know, I, I am a big Kadarius Tony fan. I, I would guess – he may not be the smartest person on the team. And I, that's just what it seems like. From Dable saying, you know, you know, it depends on, you know, everything leading up to the game just makes it seem like it's like behind the scenes classroom stuff. So um, then what, what are they going to do with him? So I just, you know, this happened last year also. He was a first round pick. And I, you know, if you remember week two, they lost to Washington and Tony like got into a fight with Jason Garrett and, why was he only getting, you know, two targets a game? And even the next week against the Falcons, he had like a couple catches. He didn't really like get involved until like week four or five. So that's like two straight different coaching staffs who are having this issue with him. So, you know, to me, the Giants are doing themselves a disservice by not playing Tony. I have a really hard time believing that a guy like Dable is going to keep Tony on the sidelines for long. Uh, I do think we will see him more, hopefully, starting this week. Um, but there's just clearly – because you know, he got the ball, and he's, like, running at a different speed than everyone else on the field. And it used to be like that when Beckham would catch it, and it kind of looks like that when Tyreek Hill has the ball in the open. You know, he, he gets an end around, and he makes, miss, makes a guy miss for a loss of yards and ends up getting 20 yards. He, he gets another end around where he's going to throw a pass. He doesn't throw a pass because the guy's covered, he tucks it, reverses field, and gets six yards. And he's just moving at a different speed. So, like, he's got to get on the field. I, I'm looking forward to it. And when, when he does get on the field and play a lot, there's going to be some crazy plays that happen. Uh, that I'm pretty confident of. I just – I find it a little puzzling that the guy can't get on the field. Like, yeah, this isn't, I, there's, this there's, isn't there's his rookie year. Something. This is year two. I know it's a different coaching staff, but, like, come on already. And there were um, there were clips of him kind of on the sideline, like just walking back and forth. And you know, you hope he doesn't get to a point where he's you know, is disgruntled, and then he stops putting in even the work he's putting in and doesn't care. But in uh, the video of the game-winning kick that was missed, there's an angle where you uh, the giant sideline is in the background, and Tony is very clearly jumping up and down with his arms in the air. And you know, it's a stupid minor thing, but it was like a little reassuring that he at least seem genuinely happy and excited that they won. And, you know, he's not a guy that's just like walking to the locker room pissed because he didn't play. Uh, and then he had a quote today where someone you know, asked him if he was mad about the playing time. And he's like, you know, we won the game. Why would I be mad? So that was good. And, and, is, know, that, quote, is that, that what no you sense. interpreted from that quote? Because I couldn't <laughs> so there, understand any of it. There was another question and answer where the words were more uh, decipherable. This one, um, I'm not sure what the back and forth was, but someone uh, was getting a dollar at the end. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, I, I couldn't for the life of me understand what the hell he was saying. Um, yeah, it, the bottom line is this. Like, if, if he can't get on the field, then you're going to have to trade him. Yes. Um, because, because, like, what – I don't care what your physical capabilities are, your physical talents are. If you can't play, then what good are you? So I, I agree, and I, and I had that thought, which I you know hope does not come to fruition, that you know if we get to the end of the season and it's you know maybe not to this extent, but clear that he still didn't have the trust of the coaching staff, I would still not want to trade him, but I would imagine they would try to trade him. And I wonder if we're even like you know five six weeks from now and he's barely playing, do they trade him to a team and get you know a second or third round pick for him? Um, 
And, you know, again, I, I hope that doesn't happen, but how much he plays in the coming weeks will be telling. The other star from this game, besides for Saquon Barkley, seems to be Brian Dable, the head coach. Um, I said it in the monologue. It was an incredibly ballsy move to go for two when they did. It was great. I mean, the play call was a little suspect, but if you if you watch it again, I sent you the clip. Darren Orlovsky was breaking it down. Like basically, they're like, "Okay, Saquon, you know, put Superman cape on and and go make a play." And that's basically what happened because he should have been stopped in the backfield for a loss of three. He ends up making a guy miss, gets in the end zone on the shovel pass. You know, they they take the one point lead, but Brian Dable went to play to win, right? And that aggressiveness is something that Joe Judge never would have done. Now, again, because you watched all the plays, um, what was your biggest takeaway uh, from Brian Dayball and the play calling as a whole? I think the, um, the, uh, the run-pass ratio was more run-heavy than I would have anticipated, and I knew Saquon was going to be relied on. Um, I, I just – and, again, it goes back to really probably the lack of plays, but – I, I was foreseeing more of a pass-heavy offense. Uh, also expected to see a lot more crossing routes, uh, which we saw in the preseason. was just like almost every passing play seemed like it was just thrown like to a guy running across the field. And I feel like we didn't get a lot of that. Uh, Jones was under pressure a bunch, so maybe that contributed uh, and they mo- were more run-heavy. Uh, but the two-point conversion and the aggressiveness – um, it is just, you know, just such a breath of fresh air. And we discussed this when we had podcasts about Judge, uh, because his introductory press conference, he promised to be very aggressive and, you know, we're going to go, you know, punch you in the mouth and every play is going to have a life and story of its own. And, you know, that's what I was expecting. Uh, and then came his first game as coach. Giant Steelers opening drive of the season and the Giants punted from like the Pittsburgh 40 on like fourth and four. And I said, what the fuck? I thought we were going to be going for these. And as we saw over the next two years, Joe Judge loved punting. So this was uh, a, a really good thing that we saw. We expected it to be that way. I did at least, you know, he's coming from Buffalo Kafka is coming from Kansas City, the offensive coordinator. Those are both aggressive teams. They understand why you go for things, why you go for it on fourth down, why you go for two. I also think, um, you know, while that drive was going on, I, I, you're so, I'm so scared to, like, jinx anything. I wanted to ask people, if they score, will they go for two? Uh, and I know that the second I send that, Jones will fumble or send a pick. So I don't even want to, like, ask that question in the universe. But I did think if they scored – that they would go for two. And one of the reasons was they still had three timeouts, which is another thing from Joe Judge, where he would like burn timeouts like they're nothing. And then the Giants would need the timeouts at the end of the game and they had one. So if you don't get the two, you know, it's not ideal, but you still have three timeouts. You could make a stop, get the ball back. Um, I do think he would, he would have gone for it either way. And I think another thing for that, and not to say it's going to be specific to this year, but, you know, I think that they are – the most important thing for them is to establish a culture and a new way of doing things. And I, and I don't even like using the culture word because it's not really measurable. It's very cliche. Joe judge, you know, he said he was changing the culture. Pat Shermer was changing the culture and nothing changed uh, except the losing. But I, I think, you know, Joe Shane before the, like literally days before the season basically insinuated that he knows they're not going to be good this year. And, you know, it's not really, about win or loss it's about you know the the culture changing and that's something you say when you know you're not going to be good and you know i think they're all realistic like they know the giants don't have a a very talented team they have a lot of dead cat money right now they didn't sign anyone at agency. this is not the year i think they're expecting to compete so i think that may also play into dable's decision like listen i'm establishing the culture of being aggressive we're going to go for it and yeah, would losing suck? Yes, it would. But that's what not do we have my to main, lose? That's not exactly. That's not my main priority this year. It's it's establishing a mindset that we will go for these. And I, you know, I the and with the Chiefs, the Chiefs ran that same shovel pass play in uh, in week one for a touchdown, and it was like very similar. 
And the difference is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire catches it and waltzes right into walks the end zone. Walks right in, right? And he didn't have Saquon, to make anybody miss. He walked no. right in. So it's funny to see. And I, I watched the two-point conversion for the Giants a couple of times. I think Evan Neal actually misses his block. And so one of those guys is one of the two guys that Saquon's in. And, like, that guy also blocked a different Giants lineman who was, like, pulling. Bottom line is Saquon catches it. Two defenders in his face. And he jukes them. One guy whiffs, gets around, and then power lowers his shoulder and gets in. And it was just funny. Like, yeah, it was great to see an actual play call. Like, Joe Judge probably would have done, like, a fullback handoff up the middle. Um, yeah. But – or punted or kneeled or QB sneaked. And so it was good to see a real play. But then you have to realize that, you know, the Chiefs have really good players and the Giants don't. And that's why the Chiefs guy waltzes right in and Saquon has to make two guys miss and then power through another two players. It seems like there's competency from the head coach and the general manager in a sense where they have some type of process, right? Where they're, yes. where they're doing things smart. Now, again, you have to execute that process, but, and we haven't seen Thibodeau yet. We, um, you know, Evan Neal is a, is a rookie tackle. It's going to take some time, but they're building from, you know, the ground up in a sense where we're going to take care of the lines first and then we'll kind of take it from there. We haven't committed money to Jones and now we have the flexibility to see what's up. And yeah, will they probably go four and 13, five and 12? Sure. But, but as I, to bring it back full circle from what I, we started the podcast with a little optimism because even when they won this game, we've kind of, you know, dumped on Jones a little bit. We we dumped on the receiving core. The defense wasn't overly impressive. Um, but let me make the case, all right? If they get past Carolina, who did not look very good on Sunday, and maybe there's a correction. There easily could be. But if they get past Carolina, then they've got the Cowboys and the Bears. The Cowboys are going to be horrific without Dak Prescott. And the Bears are horrific. I know they won week one. That was a fluky game in the rain. If you're, in theory, 3-1, and 4-0, and oh, like, you have a leg up. Like, they do have winnable games. Seattle, the Texans, the Lions, the Cowboys again, the Commanders. You Jaguars. know, like, well, I'm higher on the Jaguars and have a boner for the Jaguars, as you well know. But it's a winnable game. If the Commanders can beat them, then uh, the Giants can. This is true. But the alternate universe of them being that surprisingly, you know, mediocre 10 and 7 team and making the playoffs is not out of the realm of possibility. Now, I think for the long term benefit of the franchise, it's better that they not do that. But I'm not taking crazy pills, right? I think. You know, I, I love Terrell and Dallas as much as anyone, and they looked really bad, and especially without Dak, they, they, you know, should be bad. But I do think their defense could still be good, and, like, it wouldn't surprise me if their defense gave the Giants offense trouble. Uh, I What I would say – Yeah, but they're is, not scoring more than seven points. Cooper yeah, I, I mean, horrible. I would hope not. I would hope not. Um, the – I think out of the next three games, which are all home, Panthers, Cowboys, Bears, you could definitely make the case the Panthers are going to be the toughest opponent. And so I do agree if they go 2-0, and then that would make me feel a little better about their prospects of going 4-0. Uh, we know that they're not going to win every game that they should. But, yeah, I mean, you're 4-0. You just you listed a bunch of teams they still have to play. Uh, you know, injuries are going to be a thing and we just, you know, I have to hope that it's not debilitating. I do think, you know, you don't even have to be 10 and seven, nine and eight in the NFC could get you the seventh spot. And, you know, you'd be playing the two seed, which who knows who that could be. But like if the giants actually made the playoffs, even at eight, I mean, Joe judge almost made the playoffs at six and 10 and people wanted to put him in the hall of fame. So if the giants made the playoffs at nine and eight, like that would be a obviously hugely successful season. Would it mean they're picking in the twenties in the draft? Yes. Um, you know, if you're moving on from Jones, 
which I also think they will do, barring yes, some I amazing season. I just think a coach and GM want their own guy. Yes. Um, and especially as a free agent, like if Jones is fine, what are you going to do, pay him $30 million? So I just think they will have to figure out a way if that means trading, you know, their, their first rounder and a second rounder and next year's first rounder and move up to 10 and draft someone amazing. Then or that's bring in a happen. guy like Jimmy G. I, you know, I do not want that to happen. Um, Jimmy G is I'm not just saying the what the possibilities are. Sure. It's a possibility. Yes. Uh, I don't, I think they'll want to draft someone like they did in Buffalo and Kansas city. Um, but I'm, I'm fine with, you know, giving up good assets together. They did it for Eli, you know, it worked out. Um, you could argue they shouldn't have and could have just drafted Roethlisberger. I mean, uh, yeah, Roethlisberger or Rivers. But, yeah, I mean, that worked out. It works out for other teams that, you know, if you get your quarterback, you're on the right path. So if it takes a few picks, it takes a few picks. I certainly would vote for and would rather a 9-8 and eight season and they have to trade picks than going 4-13 and 13 and picking fifth. It would be much more enjoyable for me to watch, uh, you know, a good season. So we'll just we'll, – we'll, we'll hope that happens. Funny, Dak Schefter was like, Dak is going to be out six to eight weeks. Jerry Jones is like, well, we're not putting him on IR because we hope he plays within four. And that just seems like Jerry Jones does not know what he's doing. And as a, he's going to not, it's not going to end well for them. One of the things I loved about the Dak Prescott contract when it was signed was I immediately said that that's the worst contract in the NFL, probably in NFL history. And no, no way. Worse than Galladay? Just kidding. Second worst, fine. Second worst, um, because like you know, it's a salary cap sport to pay a guy forty million dollars who's not a forty million dollar player just because he has to be the next contract up for a quarterback is insane. It's absolutely insane. I listed all the guys who are better well, than him. Like he's just he's just mediocre at best. The the reason I disagree with that is I, I do think he's better than mediocre, but that's not the reason I disagree. The reason I disagree is. Because if you have a good enough quarterback, you can do well. The contract that they messed up on was Ezekiel Elliott. Yes. There's no but way. But you don't compound. Getting... Yeah, I mean, I hear you about, you know, paying Ezekiel Elliott that money. I mean, that was a ridiculous contract. Six years, $90 million, That was nuts. But once you do that, like, you can't compound the problem with the problem. Like, the bottom line is this. Like, if you're going to pay – for, you know, top dollar, you have to get top dollar production and Dak Prescott just doesn't give it to you. Like there, if you're not top 10 at your position, you can't be paid like you're top 10 at that position. It's a cap, it's a cap sport. Yeah, I feel like uh, you could make the argument he's top 10. Um, but what, uh, you know, my family used to think this about Eli, even after his first Super Bowl, where you basically, it's a quarterback that's good enough where you don't want to replace him, but not good enough to uh, that where he earns the contract he has. And that was specifically after when Eli, after he won the Super Bowl, and he was got his new contract, and he was like the highest paid quarterback in the league. And then 2009, 2010 happened, and he was just throwing you know 25 picks. The Giants weren't making the playoffs, but they couldn't replace him, obviously. And you're like, well, that's like the worst spot to be in. And, uh, you know, you could, you could make the case that's what Dallas is in now, where Dak is – he's just he's, – he's maybe not good enough to get you where you need to go, but he's good enough, and the team has been good enough with him where you don't really want to replace him either. Well, I love the Cowboys for it because they're in disarray, and we don't like the Cowboys, so it's fine. That's, um, that was correct. And as you mentioned, because we were texting about this, that they can't really cut Dak because of the contract number. So they're not going to be in a position to really draft a a quarterback, a top flight quarterback in the first round if their season goes awry. And and it's not like the trade market for him, given his number is so robust. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't. I don't foresee them drafting a quarterback to replace him. Uh, we'll see what how they actually end up. You know, let's say he is back in six weeks. Uh, not that they looked particularly good on Monday night, but um, I yeah, I don't see them replacing Dak anytime soon. It seems like Jerry Jones really likes him. Wonderful, great, awesome. Keep doing you, Jerry. It's working out so well. Uh, <laughs> one thing, one last thing about the Giants. Um, you know, a lot has been made about the secondary. Nobody in the secondary. 
Um, I wanted to ask this to you before, but I just thought about it. Obviously, the Titans, their receiving court, not as good as they were last year. No A.J. Brown, that's a big deal. Um, but what did you see out of the Giants in the secondary to suggest that maybe they could patch this thing together to be competitive in games? I would say I didn't see anything really that would give me confidence that that's the case. Uh, my opinion has not changed. I think the point you made about the Titans is really what's most important. Um, you know, you were talking about worst receiver cores in the NFL. Are the Titans not bottom five? Uh, it's Traylon Burks, Robert Woods, and uh, the, the hyphen guy, Nicholas Equinitz, whatever his name is, Akine. Uh, they do not have good receivers, nor do they have a good tight end. So I wouldn't use this as any sort of barometer. Um, they do have the Giants, do have two good players, one of whom is, is very good in my opinion, uh, Xavier McKinney, the safety, a gentleman pick who I referenced earlier. He is yeah. a good safety. He had five picks last year, I think. And there's some cherry pick stat where he was like the only defender to have five picks, five passes, defense, then, you know, a hundred tackles or something like that. Um, and uh, Dory Jackson, he's a, I mean, uh, yeah, he's a quality cornerback. Is he a top 10 cornerback? No, definitely not. Is he top 20? Maybe not even, uh, but he's like, he's fine. The issue is really the other safety is Julian Love, who's also fine, but nothing special. And the cornerback, too, Aaron Robinson, is horrendous. And slot corner, Darnay Holmes, is also not good. Can't really play man defense. He got called for two penalties on the final drive and then gave up the long completion that put them in field goal range. Um, they play a mostly man defense, so that's not ideal for him. So you're talking about, you know, one out of five players is pretty good. One guy is fine, and three guys are, like, average to not good at all. Um, so I do think once once we play teams with better receivers, there could be trouble, including this week. We just saw Robbie Anderson had a 70-yard touchdown last week. Like, that could happen this week. DJ Moore, I like a lot. He could definitely have a big game. And this is also, like, you know, it's sad, but Aaron Robinson is actually not playing this week. Uh, he had an appendectomy today. And as bad as he is, like, there is a downgrade from him to whoever's going to play for him. It's probably going to be someone – who's currently on the practice squad. So nice. I, I don't have confidence in the secondary. I do think the Panthers could definitely score in the passing game. And, um, you know, we're getting lucky with Dak. But then you start playing some real teams, and it's going to be interesting. You start playing Rodgers, and, um, you know, Hurts isn't the best passer, so that's probably not a good example. Um, you know, they play Lamar, that he's also – I guess they don't really even play, like, a strong – schedule of, of quarterbacks but uh to answer your question i i don't feel any better about the secondary following this game although i do think the defense did play well overall especially given who was injured uh with Thibodeau and ojulari what's the timetable for those two guys for terms of the lineup i don't foresee either of them playing this week um and i think Thibodeau is probably ahead of ojulari and I would think week three would be the earliest for him. So, all right, last question then. How confident are you going into Sunday that they can actually uh, start the season 2-0 and for probably the first time in 15 years or so? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not super confident. I liked the Panthers when I saw the line was, was Giants by two and a half. I contemplated betting it. I then – Decided no, you today. didn't. No, you, I, didn't. you never so bet against the thing. your own team. No, that's not true. It's actually a very intelligent, emotional hedge where I'm willing to forfeit the 20 bucks for a Giants win. Uh, it doesn't make me happy if they lose and I win the bet, but I it, it feels like an emotional hedge. Anyway, that's, I decided. That's bad karma. That's a, that's a no, dangerous game you're playing. It's not true. It's not true. Um. Anyway, the spread is now one and a half, which means the public also like Carolina. And I'm not, I'm not super confident whatsoever. I think it's a, I totally think it's a toss up, and we cannot forget Ben McAdoo returning to the Meadowlands. It's true. That's true. That goes Ben McAdoo. All right, Shy, this was great. I uh, love your insight. Obviously, considering I wasn't able to watch the full game, so uh, you know, thanks for kind of reassuring some of the things I thought I was seeing. 
And uh, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully the Giants, you know, we'll start 2-0. And, and then next week we got to talk Bachelor. I mean, Bachelorette. Uh, yeah, can't wait. Um, if the Giants do start 4-0, I uh, will request another appearance. I, I And I will oblige. You have my word. Absolutely. Thanks so much for doing it again, bud. I'll speak to you soon. All right. See ya. Thanks again to recurring guest, a major recurring guest, Shai Elberger, who's basically been like my co-host the last couple of weeks for recapping Giants week one. 1-0 is 1-0, man. I know we poo-pooed it a little bit in the segment, but you can't discredit how important this win was for the franchise that hasn't started 1-0 in basically seven years. So good stuff from Shai. Dare to dream a little bit, Giants fans. Tepidly, but dare to dream because there may be that path as we outline. That's episode 174 for the love of the game. Take us out, Jada. I'm comfortable far from home. Eating right, getting good rest, either on the bar or the phone. I'm the reason got deals the past few years. Sound anything like kiss and sign right here. And y'all just talking, I'm doing it well. Jada kiss. I'ma see you in the what? We gon' make it, 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 we Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.